We'll have uh, everybody go ahead and find their seats. Uh, As you're finding your seats, uh, you can open up your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black pew Bible somewhere around you. And Romans 12 can be found, I believe, on page 947. So, how many of you remember your first concert experience? I don't mean like a a middle school auditorium kind of concert, but like the first big ticket venue that you went to. Everybody remember that? Kind of have that picture in your mind? Well, for me, my first concert, I may have mentioned it here before, was MC Hammer. So, 16 years old, I remember like driving, I lived in Hot Springs at the time, from Hot Springs to Little Rock to Barton Coliseum. Am I tracking with anybody from Arkansas? Right? I mean, incidentally, I just drove by there and it looks like something from Planet of the Apes now. But anyway, that was the spot for my first concert experience. And I remember being surprised that my parents would actually let me go to a concert. So, I mean, I was there and I mean, listening to the music on the way there, couldn't wait to be there, excited for MC Hammer. Um, And, like, Hammer was awesome. So, I mean, I'll never apologize for liking Hammer, me and the rest of America at that point. Still turn it on every once in a while. But I like Hammer. But what I wasn't uh, prepared for was the the opening act. The opening act at that time was a a little-known upstart band called Boys to Men. Right? So, Boys to Men opened for MC Hammer. And even, like, in my 16-year-old, like don't know anything about music stage, there was something special um, about boys to men and the way that they could make their voices harmonize together. I mean, it's just beautiful, right, to see like different guys with different, I mean, I don't even know how you explain how their voices move up and down, but I mean, I was captivated uh, by boys to men, and there's, there's something beautiful about when people are able to harmonize, right? I mean, we appreciate like American Idol and The Voice and things like that, where there's just great individual talent, where people are able just to knock it out of the park. But there's something else, though, when people blend all of their gifts and all of their talents kind of together to make this one song, right? So people are kind of... um, into that. So Boys to Men was able to do that. Um, my daughter, who is turning 14 today, she's on a trip with her mom. Her favorite movie right now is Pitch Perfect. So it's the same kind of idea, battling acapella bands, you know. I don't know if that's really a thing, but hey, you can make a movie out of it. Um, so it's, there's something in the human heart that loves to see harmony, that loves to see beauty, loves to see things work together. Um, and really what we see like in music is even more true for the people of God, right? I mean, there's one thing to have a church where there are just a, a few highly gifted individuals that use their gifts and everybody just kind of sits back as spectators. But like when everybody gets involved, when everybody uses their gifts When everybody harmonizes together, the church is the most beautiful thing on the planet, right? And that's what we all, like whether we know it, like intrinsically, that's what we want to be a part of. 
Um, somehow, on some level, we know that that's what Jesus came to give us. Like, that's what the church is supposed to be. Like, culture is supposed to give us echoes of what that's supposed to be like for the people of God. Um, Slade read from 2 Corinthians. The Corinthians are uh, an example of how that goes bad. You know, like when we're, there's just individuals that are trying to kind of seek their own way and make a way for their gifts. It says like it, when people have no regard for the, the whole church and they just want to make a way for their gifts, they end up being like noisy gongs or clanging cymbals or a trumpet that only hits one note, right? So what we want to explore is how do we become a church? What are the, the things that are inherent in a church that makes it where we can all use our gifts, where all the gifts can flourish, where we can experience the, the kind of harmony that we know that we were created for? And to find the answer to that, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles open, you can stand with me as we read Romans 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, in, if service in our serving... The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, we so much want to live in the good of all that you have for us. There's something just hardwired in our heart to want to be in sync with one another, to want to live in harmony with one another, to use our gifts to serve not only ourselves, but the world. Father, I pray that you would do something significant in our hearts uh, over the next few minutes, that you would help us by faith to see Jesus. I pray that you would help us to experience the reality of His love. I pray that that love would fuel love for one another and love for the world. Uh, in order for that to happen, we need Your help. It's not natural for us to live that way. We need Your Spirit. We need Your Spirit to help us to pay attention. We need Your Spirit to empower us. Father, I pray that You would begin to open our eyes to the reason that You've created us, the reason that we're on the planet. 
Um, And I pray that you give us the desire to use our gifts together. Lord, I need your help to proclaim this word to these people that I love. Um, I pray that you would be near to me. And I pray that you would help me to speak clearly. And, Father, that Jesus would be glorified. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So, Romans 12. It's uh, always a little dicey to try to just jump into a particular passage of Scripture uh, if we're not going through the book so you don't know the context. But Romans 12 uh, really is part of what most people consider to be the greatest letter that's ever written. I mean, there is... I mean, this is kind of the, the mountaintop of the gospel. It's kind of the mountaintop of seeing God's love for sinners where he sends his son into the world to reconcile himself to mankind. I mean, there's, there's nothing better than the book of Romans. And, and as strong as it is in the gospel, uh, another theme that often is missed is the, the role of the life of the believer in the Spirit, right? So, Paul, one of his primary reasons for writing in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, he says, I'm eager to come to you because I want to impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be strengthened. See, what Paul knows as like a wise church planner and a pastor is that Maturity for a local church is not just defined by an increasing passion for the gospel. And by God's grace, I think that's what we get to experience. We are growing in our understanding of what God has done for us in and through Jesus. But it's not only an increasing awareness of what God has done for us in and through Jesus. It's an increasing experience of the reality of the Holy Spirit. And how that plays out in Romans chapter 12 is that every member begins to use their gifts. So that is a mark of maturity, right? It's a mark of maturity when we all come together and we use our gifts to serve one another and to glorify God. So the theme of Romans 12 is to use our gifts to the glory of God. Verses 3 through 8 kind of unpack that for us. But what we see in verses 1 and 2 is that using our gifts in the local church is first and foremost a response to of worship. It's a response to the gospel. So look at verses 1 and 2 with me. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So before we get to the horizontal and how all of our gifts work together to serve one another and serve the world, a church that is a place where gifts flourish first and foremost is a worshiping community. Right. We live all of our lives in response to the message of God's grace. And that's why this comes like really in the application section of the book of Romans after kind of outlining our need for the gospel. And then just this wonderful picture of the gospel. Paul is saying this is how the gospel makes its way into the church and out into the world. So it's how the the gifts are used. The gifts are used as a response to the grace that we have received. So. 
church, to, to grow in our worship of God. I mean, in light of all that we have received, in light of the fact that God took on flesh as a man, came into the world to reconcile us to himself, right? I mean, that's the good news of the gospel. In light of that, we offer all of our lives back to God, right? Our gifts, our talent, our time, our resources, all of that because of the mercy that we've received. Because of the fact that we have been adopted into the family of God. The fact that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you are adopted by God, that you are loved by God, that you share positionally the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus the Son has. In light of that kind of mercy, that's what we see in Romans 12, we say, yes, that here is all of my life. You have laid down your life for me and it is my joy to return as worship to you all of my life. So, a church that flourishes in seeing people use their gifts is a worshiping community. It's a response to the dance of the gospel where God initiates and sends His Son and we respond in mercy and in love and we use all of our lives and all of our gifts for Him. So, a worshiping church, as vital as what we're doing here is this morning, I will never, ever, ever diminish what we're doing this morning. But what Romans 12 has in view is all of life being worship. So what I want to do is be able to connect what we're doing here with what we do when we leave here. We're a church that believes in gathering. We gather to remind each other of the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We gather to be encouraged. We gather to have faith built But we also, that's not an end in and of itself. We gather so that we can scatter and we can fill the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, J.D. Greer, in his book, Jesus Continued, he uses the, the following analogy and I think it's helpful. So, imagine Tom Brady at the Super Bowl, right? So I know there's probably a lot of Dallas Cowboy fans in the audience, but imagine... Tom Brady, who some people would argue is the greatest quarterback of all time. I might be one of them. Imagine Tom Brady, first series of the Super Bowl. They receive the kickoff, and he has all of his guys huddled up, right? They return the kickoff to about the 45-yard line, and when they all huddle up, you can just see a look in Tom's eyes. He knows that he's got the perfect play called to start off the Super Bowl. And then you can begin just to see, like, on the, the, the other players' faces, they begin to say, man, this, this is a good play. Like, this is going to work. We're going to score right off the bat. And so, you know, they break the huddle. They take the line. Tom steps up to the line. Hut one. Nothing happens. Hut two. Hut three. Hut four. So the play clock expires. They throw a flag. So... He has them huddle up again. He's like, all right, guys, what's going on? Thought we, we had the play called, right? So calls the play again. He's like, yeah, that's a great play. They go back out there. It'll still work. They get back out there. And this happens two or three more times. And they never snap the ball. And he, he finally just says, you know what? I got to call a timeout. He's like, guys, he's like, do you understand the play that I just called? Right? They're like, Tom, I got to be honest with you. You are the best play caller I've ever heard. 
Sometimes throughout the week, like we gather like without you and we have tears in our eyes when we talk about the play that you called. (laughs) I hope you get what I'm saying, right? So the point of this, like anytime anybody speaks to you, we are calling a play. And you can marvel at the play. You can respond emotionally to the play. But the point of the play is that we run the play. Not only are we the church that gathers, but we are the church that scatters. We are the church that is called to fill the world with the glory of God. So I hope that's helpful. So I want to make that connection for us. We believe in gathering and we believe in scattering. Like if we were just a church, right, that that just believed in life happening only on Sundays, we would just be a church that always stayed in the huddle. Like we might have a really good huddle, right? We might be able to memorize the the plays in Greek or something, but the point of it is to run the play. And then second off, like if all we did was scatter, right? Because, I mean, I know there's that's near and dear to a lot of people's heart. They want to make sure that we go out and we fill the world with the, the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Like if we just scattered and we never all came back together, like you would have a lot of tired and confused people, right? So both of those things work together. For the gifts to work together, we offer all of our lives back to God in worship. So we gather and we scatter. So a church that is growing in its gifting is a worshiping community. Now, in verses 3 through 8, we see two real big missteps that kind of short-circuit a church from using their gifts. And the first one is found in verse 3. Look at me. Look at it with me. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what Paul is communicating here is that we're to think clearly about our gifts. Like we're to think rightly, not only about the existence of our gifts, but the measure of our gifts. And that's really, 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 really important because we think we're the point, right? I mean, like in all of our daydreams, like who's at the center? It's always us. Like we're okay with being a part of a body as long as we're the part. Right. I mean, we really want to be front and center. Uh, And to help me kind of explain that, Brian is going to play a clip from one of my favorite comedians, Brian Regan. I'm actually kind of quiet off stage. A lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself, and then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. Oh, well, didn't mean to waste everybody's time. (laughs) Telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. 
beware of the me monster, right? We have to have a sober assessment of ourselves. And the, the problem with kind of how um, our hearts work is you can't have a sober assessment of yourself by yourself. So a, a church that flourishes in gifting um, walks in humility with one another. Really what you want to see is that we can trust each other. Now, I don't recommend you just do this to anybody and everybody, but to someone that you love, know that you love and loves you back, ask them what your gifts are. Ask them what are the, the measure of your gifts. What are your ceilings? What things are you good at? What things should you totally stay away from? And when you do that, it causes all the gifts to kind of be on display. Like, we all know when this goes bad, right? Because we've all been, like, at a service, probably, most of us, and you hear the, the track playing, and then, you know, Sister Bertha comes up, and she's going to sing her special and she's been doing it for 35 years. And nobody ever had the courage or Sister Bertha never had the humility to ask, should she be singing the special every week? Right? It's painful if we don't walk in humility. We have to have a sober assessment of our gifts. Now, that can be in the negative sense, but also in the positive sense. Like, sometimes people uh, are overshadowed and they're afraid to use their gifts. And they need the courage of other people to say, yeah, you really are gifted at this. Please continue, right? But we have to entrust ourselves to other people. So a church that flourishes using their gifts is humble. So I would encourage Every person, like if you are a member of a gospel community or if you've just been here for a little while, to, to ask somebody, like, what, what do you see in me? What, what are my gifts? How could I best serve the church? How could I best serve our mission as a church? And as we do that, it's going to help us to move forward in faith. Now, let's look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Having gifts that differ... According to the grace given to us, that means everybody has grace. And then this simple phrase, and I want us to walk away with this, let us use them. Let us use them. Probably what's more common than someone just being narcissistically like obsessed with their own gifting and kind of hurting people is, is having a whole bunch of wallflowers, right? Thinking that my gifts aren't good enough, right? That, that I'm not going to be able to be used. Maybe somebody else could do it better. And what you end up doing is having everybody kind of like a junior high dance around the, the corners of the room and nobody gets involved. But what the, as we have a, a sober assessment of our gifts, it frees us to begin to use our gifts. It, it frees us to begin to be able to use our gifts to serve other people. And when we do that in humility and we do that in love and we do that with a kind of a picture of being the church all together, it's this beautiful idea that we can work together and to display to the world the glory of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, the reality is, being the church is not a spectator sport. I mean, it, it requires action. It requires faith. It requires obedience. All those things tethered and tied to the finished work of Jesus Christ. But, I mean, to, really, I mean, just think about all the, the dreams that we have as a church. I mean, to see the darkness pushed back in our city. To see people freed from religion. To see, like, 
segregation and those scars wiped away. That doesn't happen by us being passive. It happens by us stepping out. And the connecting thing that we see in this passage is stepping out in proportion to our faith. You know what the the number one Christmas gift right now is in America? Anybody want to take a guess? Money or gift card, right? The gift card industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And it's great. I'm not knocking gift cards at all. I mean, it enables us to like thoughtfully communicate how we think about other people. We love it for the convenience. We love it because it enables us to kind of help people pick out their own gifts. But do you know why the, the companies love them? Over the, the last, starting in 2012, all the way up to last Christmas, per year, there's been $750 million to $2 billion in unclaimed gift cards. Like, people don't use the gifts that they receive. So, the, the, the idea behind that is that we can have the gifts from God, we can have a context for the gifts that we've received, but if we don't step out and use them, they don't benefit anyone. So, we want to use the gifts that God has given us. So, this is like, if you're meeting together, if you're a gospel community leader, if you're a part of a gospel community, I would like every group to do this. I'd like every person to answer this question. It's just yes or no. Am I using my gifts? And then you have to answer why or why not, and then figure it out as a group how to use your gifts to the glory of God. Like, if we don't get to that point and that practical level of how we can work together at church. We're just going to have this theoretical vision of how we use our gifts. But like, there's a reason right now. And if it's not an on-ramp and you need help, I I invite you to come see me and I will be glad to try to help find an on-ramp for you and your gifts. But we, this isn't lip service. Like we really do want you to be able to use the gifts that God has given you because Jesus is glorified in our diversity. So this is a call for everyone. Introverts, extroverts, people that are comfortable being out front, people that would rather stay in the shadows. Everyone is called to use their gifts. Everyone has been given a gift of grace. Look back at verses 4 and 5 with me. Verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so though there are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. What that's saying is that the the differences that we have and the diversity that we have as a church is intentionally designed by God. I mean, just think about, now, I'm not a symphony guy, but think about a a symphony. There's a, a brass section and a percussion section and a wood wind section and there's all these different sections that kind of work together and they're all playing the same song and what makes a symphony really beauty beautiful is all the diversity coming together in unity so as a church how we're going to be able to most accurately reflect the glory of god to our city is to use our gifts one to another to display the glory of god now i'm all about the big c church and i think you can have a passion for the church but but You have to keep in mind, Paul is writing to a particular local church. He's not just saying, I want you to use your gifts nebulously out there somewhere. He's like, I want you to bloom where you're planted. 
right? So if this is your church home, the question is, am I using my gifts right here to serve the greater mission that we have as a church, right? And this is just God's invitation to all of us to just take stock and to be able to have faith to step forward into all that he has for us. So would you pray with me that God would unite our hearts in faith and in love and in unity to use the gifts that he's given us to help us fulfill our mission to reach the city for Jesus. Would you pray with me? Would you do that? Yes. Good. All right. So we want to use our gifts in love. We want to have a sober assessment in humility. We want to respond out of worship. But the hinge point of this whole passage is faith. Faith, the proportionality of faith. Look at verse 6 one more time. Having gifts that differ, we all readily agree with that, according to the grace given to us, that's every person, let us use them. And then he says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So what Paul is communicating there is faith is not static. Like as we grow in faith, our gifting grows. And the main way that we grow in faith, we believe faith is a gift from God, but faith happens as we see Jesus. And that's the reason that we gather. We want everybody here to walk away with a tangible experience of the love of God in and through Jesus. So faith comes as we see more and more of Jesus. So we want to respond in faith. Faith is not um, static Faith is kind of the synergy that brings people together. I mean, just think about it for a minute. If everybody in this room really believed that God wanted to use them, right? Like if you, if you said, yeah, God has brought me here through time and history and space, and he's somehow landed me in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and he's gifted me and he wants to use me to reach this city. Think about if every person in this room really believed that. What a, what a place to be that would be. So, I mean, it just begins with this idea that, that we believe in confidence and in faith that God didn't gift us for, like, no reason. He gifted us because he wants us to use the gifts that he's given. So faith is not static. It grows as we step out into our gifts. Um, I'll tell you this story. Um, like, I wanted to be a pastor for a long time before I became a pastor. It seemed like a long time, maybe like four or five years. And so I had this job and I would just drive around and I kind of would preach to myself. I would preach to the trees. And, you know, um, somehow along the way, like I found myself like in a, in a pastor's school and finally came time that I was going to be able to give my first sermon. And you know what my response was? Like I'd been thinking about this and dreaming about doing this like for my whole life. And then I said, oh, my goodness. And, like, I had one week of preaching classes before, like, I actually gave my sermon. And, like, I went into a full-blown panic. So I drove from Washington, D.C., all the way to Atlanta, Georgia. That's where I gave my first sermon. And I remember all the ways. Like, God, is there any way that you could get me out of this? Like, if this would be a nice time. This would be a nice time for you to return. You know, I know there's a lot of people that don't know you right now, but like I'm, I'm okay. So I'm praying like the Maranatha prayer. Come Lord Jesus. 
So I finally make it to Atlanta and people are like, man, we're so excited to hear you preach. We know this is your first sermon. We're here for you. We believe in you. And and I, and so this is Saturday night before Sunday and I get in bed and I know we've all been there. But I am laying in bed, tossing and turning, tossing and turning, looking at the clock every 15 minutes or so. So finally at 3 a.m., I'm just like, I, this is it. I'm going to I'm going to get up. I'm I'm going to see if I can handle this. And so I get up and the first thing that I do is I, I go into the basement. I'm staying at somebody's house. I don't even know. And I just lay on the floor. And I mean, and I'm desperate before God. I'm like, God, please, please help me. Don't let me hurt anyone. And so I did what any man of faith would do, you know, at three in the morning before breakfast. I lost my breakfast, you know. So, I mean, there's real like angst going on in my soul. This is not a, a picture of faith at all. But somehow, like between 3 a.m. and by the time it was 1030 or whatever, when I delivered my sermon, God gave me enough faith to just step up and open my mouth. And you know what happened? It wasn't terrible. Like, it was, I mean, my wife still has it on CD somewhere and she threatens to distribute it to people uh, if, if I don't keep myself in line. But there was enough grace there that um, I got to continue. And as I stepped out in proportion to my faith, God grew my gift, right? Now, I'm not saying I'm the best in the world at this by any means, but when I take steps of faith, you can never outbelieve or outtrust God, right? So... If you want to use your gifts, I mean, one of the things, the greatest mistake we always make as people is if we can't do everything, we don't do anything. So what is a tangible step of faith that you could take this week? Like if it's encouragement, I mean, I would encourage you just to take five minutes and write a little letter to someone in the church to say you're thinking about them. I mean, if your gift is prayer, I would encourage you like to pray for someone and let them know that you prayed for them. I mean, you, that's one of the most encouraging things that you can do for me personally as a pastor is to let me know that you're praying for me. Um, like if you guys don't pray for me, I mean, I would rather quit because, I mean, we just need the grace of God. I need prayer. Um, so if you want to grow, take a small step of faith, right? I mean, if it's you're wanting to reach your neighbors, what's the next step? Can you knock on their door? Can you have them over for dinner? Can you go out to a restaurant? All of those things take tangible, small steps. And as we all take small steps of faith, what we see over time is that God meets us every step of the way. And he's actually the ones that has ordered the good works that we're walking in. So we can use and step out in faith. So we want to grow in proportion to our faith. Two things and then we'll be done. Growing in proportion to your faith First of all, means stirring up yourself to use your gifts. Second Timothy chapter one, Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that was given to him through the laying on of his hands. Now, Timothy was a lot like me. I mean, he was terrified of the shoes that he was about to step into in second Timothy. Like he was taking the place of the apostle Paul. Like, I wouldn't want to do that. So he's terrified. But what Paul says is, hey, I want you to remember that you have a gift, right? And I want you to fan that gift 
into flame. So there's, there's a way that we can have gifts but not stir them up, right? So that means that, like, whatever context that we're going to go into, like, there needs to be a level of expectancy. So whatever stirs you up to want to use your gift, I would encourage you to do that. Like, if it's prayer, then I would encourage you to pray. If it's reading a certain kind of book, then I would encourage you to do that. If it's journaling, then journal. Whatever it is that stirs your passion. If you want to reach the city and, and you, and you just have a heart for the poor, I would encourage you to just go around and walk the neighborhoods and begin to pray. Whatever it takes for you to stir up the gifts of God that are in you, you have to do that. So stir yourself up, right? I mean, think about what we would be like as a church if everyone was stirring up them, them, themselves to use their gifts to give the love that they've received from God away. It'd be a beautiful place. So, to grow in proportion to our faith, we stir ourselves up. But we also, Hebrews 10 says, that we stir up one another to love and good works. And that's one of the most beautiful things. We did this uh, in my gospel community last Sunday. And I heard from many of you that you've done the same thing. Where you just go around the room and you encourage each other with the gifts that you see in each other. Sometimes all people need is just a word of encouragement to say, yeah, like what you're doing, it makes a difference. What you're doing demonstrates Jesus to me. What you're doing like helps me feel more connected to the body, right? We all need to hear that. And, and most of the time, like I said, I think that's the, the number one reason why people don't flourish in their gifts is because churches don't value encouragement enough. So, I mean, as the result of the good news of the gospel, let us be a, a group of people that... Um, stir one another up in love. Stir one another up in good works. And then finally, I mean, just imagine if we were a place where everybody felt like they had a part to play. Everybody felt needed. There were no outcasts, no divisions, no factions. No backbiting, no bitterness, right? What if we were a place like that where Jesus is glorified? Jesus died and was laid on the tree for that and nothing less. For us to all have a part to play. For us all to use the gifts that he's given us. Um, Gordon Fee, who is a theologian, he he writes that the Holy Spirit is the, the presence of the future. So that means that the age to come breaks into this age. The way that the world knows that Jesus is alive is through his body, right? Jesus died and was raised so that he could pour out the Holy Spirit and gifts on people so that all throughout the world, his body testifies to his message of grace. That's why Jesus laid down his life. It's for that and nothing else, so that we all have a part to play. And if we don't play our part, then, then somehow Jesus' glory is diminished among us. He's still going to be glorified. He's still going to finish uh, his work. But what we miss out on is the joy. So there's a real joy in using the gifts that God has given you to serve the message of the gospel. Now, I, mean, I, want, to, I want to make sure to leave you with grace. There's only one that used his gifts perfectly. His name was Jesus, right? We're going to mess up. Not going to do this perfectly. But Jesus died and his righteousness is credited to us so that we can do a step out in faith and know that even in the midst of uh, real difficulty that he is 
going to meet us. So as we transition into a time of communion, let's just pray that God would really unite our hearts around a love and a passion for Jesus that wouldn't just be contained to this room, but would fill the city with his love. Let's pray. Father, we right now just ask that you would be so merciful to us to visit us with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would be active speaking to people right now just about the next step for them to use their gifts. Um, I pray that you would give us the gift of faith and that we would grow in proportion to our faith as a church. I pray that you would give us more of Jesus, that we would be most aware of his love for us and that love would motivate us to fill our city with his love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to continue to worship God through celebrating communion. I'd like us to take it corporately today. So what we're going to do as we're talking about unity and we're talking about being a body is there are four stations around this room and there are elements there. And these are pictures of tangible grace to us. The bread represents Jesus' body that's broken for us, broken for this world. The cup represents his blood that is shed for us so that we have forgiveness and we can offer forgiveness to the world. So um, how, how we're going to do this is just want us to, to kind of make our ways through these four stations, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup and make your way back to your seat. And then we're going to celebrate communion all together. I'm going to pray for the elements and then you can come and you can gather the elements and make your way back to your seats. Father, thank you for your great love. Um, I pray that this meal would not be a mere formality, but I pray that it would be a real taste of grace for us and a foretaste of the grace that you have for our city and for the world. I pray that you would be present among us to encourage us, and I pray that even as we celebrate this together, that you would foster more and more unity. It's in Jesus' name I pray.